Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend Eric. How are you? Hi. I'm I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I am Patrick, as you know, Eric, and uh, you can follow along on Letterboxd. My name is Long Monkey, and you can check out my other projects on prleary.com. But you and I are going to talk about movies. That should be fun. It should be. I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the one I thing will I say wanna... that I have uh, much more, I think, potential for fun this episode than last episode, even though okay, last episode good. ended up being pretty fun, I think. Yeah, the episode itself was fun last time, but the prep might not have been fun. <laughs> it's like a colonoscopy? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's an apt analogy. <laughs> so, um, but before we get into that, speaking of colonoscopies, I saw a horrible image online. Upgirl.com? <laughs> <laughs> no. This was actually on your Instagram. And it was from a Stranger Things party. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And it was you dressed like, I guess, one of the characters on the show? Uh, not like any one particular character. Right. It was just uh, the style. The show takes place in the 80s, and it was in that style. I had the short shorts and the high socks, the high tube socks, yep, yep. and uh, a tank top. And I uh, made the... Uh, horrible mistake of shaving off my beard and just going with a mustache which why was that a thing in the 80s mustaches are terrible yeah, but everybody yeah. in the show has a mustache if you're not tom Selleck or ron swanson you should probably just not have a mustache <laughs> so how long did you keep the mustache after this party uh it was about zero days <laughs> okay it was gone <laughs> as soon as you got home <laughs> and actually uh the sad thing is it wasn't even a party we were supposed to go to a friend's house for a viewing party and then they tested positive for COVID the day before. So oh, this was all just for my own enjoyment. Well, the enjoyment of you and everyone on your Instagram. I guess. Yeah. And the 60 some odd people on Facebook who liked it. <laughs> so uh, what'd you think of it? Give your the quick end of things? things through. Yeah. What's your quick review? Uh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Oh. Um, I don't want to say too much because it is brand new and I don't want to spoil a, a streaming show, but I just think, I don't know how much we've talked about Stranger Things already on this podcast, even though it's a movie podcast. And actually, that leads me to a question for you. Um, I didn't watch any movies. I'll start off with that. So maybe this is my little thought piece to give to you. Okay. The last two episodes of this show, the episode seven was... Or maybe, no, I think there were nine episodes. So episode eight was an hour and a half. Uh Episode nine was two and a half hours. Now, if you told me that I had to watch a four-hour movie, I would probably shove things into my eyes to make that not happen. Right. But for some reason, because it's two episodes of a TV show, it doesn't seem that bad. I think maybe because your expectations are from the beginning are that you're going to watch one episode, maybe? Or did you plan? Oh, to no, I was going to watch both. Then I and I was just thinking, really like, just... what what's the psychology behind that? Is it that there is a break, even if it's a continuous story? I don't know. What do you think? I, I think that's a good point. But I also think maybe it's that you're already invested in the story. So you or have already watched like 75% of it. So it's like you already have all that internal, uh, I don't know, needs to internal need to see how it ends. Maybe 
That's true. It's not its own enclosed story. It's a continuation. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like watching uh, the two towers. You already know what's happened right. before it. You're you're invested. I think that's a good point. Yeah, like I I would totally watch a four hour movie, but like at, sitting down to start it is the hardest part. But if it's you're a daunting, invested, daunting yeah, thing. Yeah, but like if you're invested in like a half hour or an hour, then the rest is easy. <laughs> you know. That makes that makes sense. You're so wise. I know. That's why I have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So the point of this podcast is we each watched a movie together, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we each watch a movie inspired by that movie. But before we get to that, uh, I'm going to talk about some other movies I watched. Since you didn't watch any, you just had your Stranger Things. Well, I watched the two that I had to watch. Of course, of course. Um, okay, so let me look at my list here. Do you know what was a, a good movie that I don't know if you saw yet? The new Adam Sandler movie, Hustle? I have heard such good things about it, and it is mind-blowing to me that after the the absolute dreck that he threw out onto Netflix, he came right. out with Uncut Gems, which is supposed to be very good, which I also haven't seen. And then what The Hustle, is that what this is called? Or Hustle or something? Hustle. No, yeah. No, the... Yeah, and it it is good. Um, it's a you love it. It's a sports, you know, drama, but mm-hmm. it's just one of the really well made ones. Adam Sandler plays a basketball recruiter who's kind of uh, on the outs with his team, and he's traveling all over the place. And he finds a new prospect like in the middle of nowhere, and tries to you know bring this kid over to be in the NBA or to get picked up in the NBA. And then, but then he gets even in more trouble with his team and has to kind of do it on his own. And him and the actor who plays the basketball player are great together. Um, he's a real basketball player. In fact, there's like a hundred real basketball personalities in this movie. I don't know if you follow wow. basketball. Nah. Juancho Hernan, Hernan Gomez. <laughs> I cannot tell you if you pronounce that correctly or incorrectly. (laughs) I know. I feel bad. I'm not going to pronounce it anymore, but he was very good as this, uh, this sort of a guy who had real basketball talents, but had other issues in his life that he had to deal with that kept him from being a, you know, a real player. But Adam Sandler is like almost like a father figure to him. It's, I love seeing Adam Sandler, like sad sack, Adam Sandler, you know, (laughs) (laughs) is it, is it because you hated him so much in happy Gilmore and Billy Madison or (laughs) no, I think it's just, he's, he's so good at being like, I don't know, like a sad guy with like this drive or this anger within him. He's really good at that. And hustle is a great example. Yeah. He's had a really weird career. I I wouldn't go so far Maybe I would as to say that he's a rangier actor that he get, than he gets credit for, but uh-huh. he does definitely do like a wider variety of projects than I would have thought the happy Gilmore Billy Madison guy would end up doing. Yeah, yeah. He kind of does like 10 movies for the masses and then, you know, throws out an Uncut Gems. You know, it's it's crazy. Uncut Gems is great, by the way, and he is great in it. But uh, And there's also yeah. a real basketball player in that one. There is, yes. <laughs> Kevin Garnett. So yeah, uh, check it out. Hustle. Uh, let's see. Let me scroll down the list here. Oh my God, there's China salesman. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> I watched uh, The Black Phone in the theater. I really want to watch that. 
Yeah, I won't spoil it for you. It's a new movie by Scott Derrickson, who sort of came up as a big film fan and and wrote some screenplays that got made and then started directing and then ended up making the the first Doctor Strange movie. And he made Sinister, which I know you, I think you appreciated. Uh, Yeah, that movie scared the balls off of me. (laughs) This is very similar. It's got like, it's made by a horror fan. It's about this kid. Ethan Hawke is in it, right? Yeah, yeah. He plays a serial killer who abducts this kid. The kid gets locked in the basement. And for reasons I won't go into, the serial killer keeps him there for a little bit. But there's this phone that's disconnected and it starts ringing. And when the kid picks it up, it's the voices of all the serial killer's old victims trying to help this kid escape. So it's a really cool premise. Yeah, I saw the trailer and I was immediately in. Yeah. It's got cool, uh, tense horror scenes for sure. I think it veers too much into Stranger Things 80s nostalgia because it takes place in that time as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So the tone shift didn't quite work for me. And I think that it was a little long for what it was, because it does take a while for that plot to kick in. But when the horror stuff happens, it's really well done. Uh, So Was this an A24 or a Blumhouse? It's a Blumhouse. Blumhouse, yeah. Blumhouse is good. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty good at using the money to make hits. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, Ethan Hawke, speaking of Ethan Hawke, he was uh, very weird and creepy. And, you know, Ethan Hawke showing his range in this one. <laughs> so, yeah, check that one out. Um, Anything else? Yeah, I do want to talk about one more that I saw, which I think you might have seen in the past. The Mist. Uh, yeah, I saw about. that um, probably about 10, 12 years ago. It yeah. was not in the theaters, so th- I think... When, when did that movie come out? Mid-2000s? Uh, 2007? 2007. You still got it. <laughs> I still got it. Um, so I think I saw this around 2009 or 10. Mm-hmm. And I just yeah. remember it had one of the most depressing endings of any movie that I've ever seen in my life. Yes. I won't spoil the ending. Uh, for those who don't know, it's based on the Stephen King novella. And it's about a group of people that get trapped in a supermarket when this weird mist starts covering the whole town. And inside the mist are these creepy monsters that are eating people. And it's one of my favorite types of movie movies, people trapped in a place. I love seeing the dynamics of the people, uh, the different personalities butting up against each other while they're cooped up in this dangerous situation. And this is one of the better ones. Uh, he also enjoys trapping people in dangerous situations and just watching them. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this was a rewatch. I saw it like at least twice before. I saw it in a theater at a Zoom film show where it played really well. But Candy wanted to watch it, my wife. So we got a chance to sit down and watch it again. And yeah, still holds up. What were Candy's She didn't like, she doesn't like movies where people do dumb things. And whereas I kind of like movies like that, <laughs> so she, she did not like, she thought it was okay because she was really annoyed. The characters weren't, were acting irrationally at times. 
but yeah. I, I I tend to enjoy the dynamics because I think in these crazy situations, who knows how people are going to react. Yeah, that's that's what I I have the, a similar issue to Candy, but I also fully realize like who knows how they would react if you were in a, a grocery store and all of a sudden there was a mist eating people. Like yes, <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember having any thoughts about that movie. Like I don't mm. think I particularly liked it, but I don't think I hated it. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a good example of that genre. It's got the, the like the old '50s sci-fi vibes at times, which is mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Candy did bring up another good point that the characters are very much caricatures. They're one-note characters, especially the uh, crazy religious lady, uh, Marsha Gay Harden, and oh. it that is very true. But I think it kind of it works still because they're easy to there's a lot of characters so it's easy to like understand them and what's i was gonna say like that can be the point though i Mm -hmm. i haven't seen the movie but if the movie is trying to be some kind of metaphor that kind of characterization works to create those archetypes Mm -hmm. to reflect certain parts of society or whatever yeah that's true that's true i don't know if that was the case in the mist but sometimes there's a reason I, I, I felt it kind of was. At least it was easy to, to follow and, and easy to get into with that many characters because of that. Uh, yeah, that's the only that's the last movie I'm going to talk about before we get into our main topic. Someday I'll have time to go to movies or even watch them at home. That would be nice. I know, I know. Yeah, you have two. Well, at least you got to watch two. And I'm excited true. to hear what the second one was. But before we get there, <laughs> I'm excited to get there. To talk about it. Oh, cool. All right. So, the movie we picked was Vibes by Ken Quapis, 1988, starring Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum and Peter Falk. And Peter Falk, yeah. 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 So, uh, do you want to get into the plot of this one? Yeah. Um, it opens, in my opinion, on like a an Indiana Jones kind of vibe with these uh, people. We don't know who they are, but they're exploring some kind of ruins and they uncover this glowing tip of a pyramid and begin fighting. I think their guide was upset that they were opening this thing. They're clearly like treasure hunters or something. Right. They were violating um, a temple or something. They like were that. violating a temple. It seemed very important to the guide that they not do that. And then mm. they just kind of, you know, one of them, I believe, is uh, disintegrated or thrown off the mountain somehow. <laughs> right. Some kind of mystic force. Uh, and the other one, I don't I don't know if we see at that point what actually happens to them. Um, right. But then it cuts to a Ghostbusters scene with <laughs> a bunch of psychics uh, <laughs> undergoing like psychic testing of their abilities. The yeah, first one right. we see is this character actor who I know was in a lot of things in the 80s. His name is is in is real life googie uh, grass which is <laughs> the dumbest stage name i've ever heard in my life i was I hoping that was his real name <laughs> yeah i found out it was a stage name but i forget what uh, his real name is okay. um guessing the shapes on the yeah. cards uh actually right before that this was a funny thing i thought somebody goes to go is walking on the sidewalk you know classic new york city card hustler kind of guy Mm -hmm. and he just points at what card is you know the right card 
and the guy's upset and i'm like well maybe you don't set up your hustle outside of a psychic convention <laughs> that's <laughs> like, a very very good point for the center of paranormal research or whatever it was I yeah <laughs> what do you expect to happen man he must be losing money on his hustle right, right. <laughs> and it just kind of it that's how they introduce all of these characters and a bunch yes. of them you never see again but there's a whole slew of psychic people displaying their abilities yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, including the two main characters, Jeff Goldblum. Cindy Lauper. Oh, and, and Jeff Goldblum, the best. Yeah. yeah. The incomparable Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum was great doing his, his, like, I don't know, like awkward, but still suave somehow, like fast talking guy. I don't know. He's so good at that. Um, Playing himself. I, I'm, I'm assuming. If I ever met right. Goldblum and he wasn't like that, I would be really upset. He is like that in every interviews. If you ever watch any interviews of him, yeah, he's definitely like that. Uh, and in this movie, he plays a psychometrist. His special power is that he could see what happened to objects that he touches. So whatever object he touches, he gets like the history of it or the, the vibes from it, so to speak. Oh, I see what you did there. Yep, yep. Uh, and Cindy Lauper is, I guess, a medium who has a a spirit friend who tells her things right how you the spirit the friend knows that the, the thing she knows is beyond me but i guess you know why question it it was yeah. really fun once you're once once you're in the spirit world you know the future you know the present all that stuff <laughs> yes um so maybe you want to talk about the little bit next because i forget how they hook up with peter falk oh yeah so they get they kind of have a meet cute Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum. I love Cindy Lauper's character in this. She's kind of like a version of herself, but a little like I don't know, very quirky, colorful character. For sure. And yeah, and they have a little meet cute um, at the the this psych, psychic place, and then they both part ways. The doctor at this place wants them both to continue in this study, but they're like, "Nah, I'm out of here." That's right. And the, the doctor played by, uh, what's his name? He's definitely a British actor who I know has been yeah. in other things Julian before. Sands. Julian Sands. He's been around. You'll, you'll know him if you see him. Anyway, um, so they go part ways, and Jeff Goldblum goes back to his uh, job at the museum where he is a curator and could perfect for him he can touch these objects and see where they come from and uh cindy lopper's character i'm gonna call them by their character names at this point that would be respectful <laughs> sylvia pickle oh <laughs> yes they have basically borderline porn names <laughs> sylvia, sylvia pickle. pickle and nick deasy is Jeff <laughs> nick Deasy, yes. so sylvia goes goes and uh meets up with her uh her sort of ex-boyfriend played by Steve Buscemi, which was a good uh, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> he's like at the horse racing track and he's like, baby, I, I really do love you. I'm so sorry about what I did. Could you just, I really need some money. Just, you know, talk to uh, your spirit friend and get me some winners at this horse race so I can get my money. And uh, you get the feeling that she has bad taste in men at that point. <laughs> well, she was also uh, implying that there was something going on with her and the doctor, Julian Sands' character. Oh, yes. She was definitely in love with that doctor. Yep. Anyway, she helps out her friend, her 
ex Steve Buscemi, and then he, he, you find out he's a dirtbag who just wanted the money and he's was with another woman. She's like, oh well, that's my life. <laughs> yeah. But then she goes home, and Peter Falk is in her apartment, has broken into her apartment. That's how they meet. Uh, and meanwhile, Jeff Goldblum is going back to his apartment. Oh, and yes. Covers that his uh, fiance or wife fiance. is cheating on him by <laughs> touching her panties. <laughs> yes. I love his little speech because he, he does use that word like, and fianced <laughs> like we have been and fianced <laughs> how could you do this <laughs> and that's how he ends up with um cindy Lauper's character sylvia pickle yeah goes, she knew she knew that uh she told him that his his fiance was sleeping with someone else and anyway he goes they they meet up again after peter falk gives um sylvia pickle a job and here's where we get back to the jungle. <laughs> yeah, so Peter Falk hires them uh, to find his missing son. Yes. And this scene when they end up in South America, Ecuador, I believe, is that what they said? Ecuador? Yep, yep. Um, has one of my favorite dumb little things in movies where there is a soundtrack, mm-hmm. but then somebody is playing what's supposed to be the soundtrack <laughs> yes. on an instrument there's somebody playing a pan flute but it just like doesn't start with the shot of the person playing the pan flute it's like just you know the establishing shots of this village and city in ecuador and then it pans to the guy playing the pan flute who's like playing the melody and you're just like why 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 i love it i love when that happens yeah that's good and i the, the movie's full of little like funny things by the way there's so much little dialogue little dialogue lines that i really liked um it really had that 80s feel of like a snappy kind of repartee between the characters, like mm-hmm. like a finished, totally nonsensical, like this is not real life at all dialogue and it's not trying yes. to be. But mm-hmm. I just like there's something so quintessentially 80s about how the dialogue in this script was written. Right, right. Where like Sylvia was calling Nick Stretch and then Stretch Armstrong. And he's like, what's next? Stretch, stretch mark there's no end to this <laughs> little, little things like that it's <laughs> yeah um at one point he is perhaps going to get shot by someone and he's like the guy's like tell me where you don't want to get shot which you would never say yeah. it's like uh south america yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are so many little examples of like dad basically this movie is a really long dad joke yeah it's full of dad jokes and uh harry buscafusco Peter Falk's character has some of the best ones. I thought he was a very fast talker. It, it turns out he's not looking for his lost son. He is in fact looking for this treasure in the jungle. And one of his partners was the one that was lost. And uh, the two main characters figure this out, but through various circumstances, they all decide to go get the treasure anyway. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know. I mean, he's got to have a pretty big set of brass ones because you're just continually lying to these psychics. Yes, yes. <laughs> when when uh, when uh, Nick finds out that it's not his son that's missing, he's like, this guy was older than you. He was my father or whatever. Yeah, uh, he, uh, he just... was my father. And he's like, 
uh, he married oh, my he mom was... young or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so fast delivered so fast and yeah, very, very, very entertaining. Um, and that, that scene where they visit the guy who got injured at the beginning from this magical artifact mm-hmm. in the jungle has the funniest part of the movie for me personally. They're talking to this guy who is now catatonic from whatever happened to him in the jungle. And they're trying to get some information out of him. And he's like just kind of spouting nonsense. And Sylvia gets inside his head and he mentioned like he mentions some secrets. He's like, Harry, I slept with your wife. I'm so sorry. And then they start talking about the jungle thing and then they ask him go back to that moment and then he goes back to the moment that he was sleeping with the wife and he like <laughs> looks down and he says miriam your husband is my best friend stop <laughs> <laughs> just like a little moment like that and then they do in the middle of like a whole bunch of other stuff it was very funny yeah, I laughed out loud several times. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, then it, you get into a jungle and you get into some jungle antics with another group of people trying to get to this artifact before them. And big twist at the end. Turns out that the doctor from the, psych, the psychic uh, place was in on it and trying to get to this artifact. Probably going to use them to find it, but... Yes, they thought it was gold, but apparently it was some kind of tool that the ancient Mayans could use to focus psychic energy. Yes. Uh, a, a ultimate weapon or something like that. Yeah, I I really, I, I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, and a lot of just quippy back and forth, even in that final scene, like you said, where do you want to get shot? Lines like that all over the place. The, when... Um, Nick Deasy you know, accidentally kills a woman by knocking her off a balcony and then there's a discussion about where the body went that was very funny like I, I, there's so so many funny little lines and it was pretty risky risque some of it which I like yeah yeah I I don't know I can't say much more besides I enjoyed this movie I laughed out loud I'd mm-hmm. never heard of this before and it was not a great movie I could see how it slipped through the cracks in the eighties, but it was also something that like, I would definitely recommend to people who just want to watch something like one time in their life, uh, enjoyable and just like kind of forget about it. It was really good. Yeah. Quirky and different. Um, it felt fresh. You know, you've seen a lot of like, kind of like movies with this vibe, you know, like two people meet and go on an adventure, fall in love, blah, blah, blah. But like, this had like quirky psychic stuff, great dialogue, interesting characters. Just, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. It was written to formula, but in mm-hmm. such a way that it was like not a formula movie, if that makes uh-huh. sense. Yes. Yes. Like all of the plot points are so cliche and hack and eyed, but like because of how, because of Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper and like the weird dialogue, it felt different. Mm-hmm. yes even yes. though you knew pretty much like 10 minutes and exactly what was going to happen right yeah <laughs> agreed agreed there's something to say about a movie that just follows the tropes because they're tropes that trope they are tropes because they work <laughs> and then yeah. just does it in a fresh way 
yeah recommend recommend for sure yeah great vibes all right well i hope the other movie you watched based that was inspired by vibes was as good it was not oh no um but i do think i think if vibes gave me one thing besides enjoyment it gave me perhaps a new method of picking what movie i'm going to watch because i watched this uh on prime it was free on prime vibes is free on prime yes and even if you don't buy a movie and it's not free on prime they tell you here's what other people watched so i think i'm just gonna pick from that list and be super lazy (laughs) even though it didn't work out for me this time when i watched full moon high the 1981 film from written and directed by Larry Cohen starring Adam Arkin, not Alan Arkman, although he is in the movie later uh, and Ed McMahon and a bunch of people full moon high full moon high. Okay. And I I feel like it was terrible. Uh, Save yourself, but I was watching it and it's basically, I will, I will give a brief, plot synopsis because the plot is very brief uh even though the movie felt like it was an hour and 40 minutes and it felt like longer than that um the main character is a high school hotshot football player played by adam arkin named tony and for some his his father is some kind of in the description it says right-wing politician um I'm not sure why that's important, but anyway, he's always talking about commies. His father is Ed McMahon talking about commies, whatever. <laughs> sent to Romania for reasons on behalf of the government and his son. For some reason, they have this part of the movie take place in Transylvania and have him become a werewolf. Okay. Instead of. You know, Transylvania vampire, you think, okay, he's going to be a vampire. No, he becomes a werewolf. Yeah, I know. Um, It also, oddly enough, had that same thing I just talked about where somebody is playing a violin. Oh. And then it's like the song that's in the movie that they're playing as he gets attacked by a werewolf. It had, I could see why people who watched Vibes would have watched this movie because it was very self-aware. And it had a lot of jokes like he's talking to the guy playing the violin as this werewolf attacks him. Like, you know, go to your master or something like that. And it's like very dad joke kind of dumb things. I couldn't tell if this movie was supposed to be a parody or like what its goal was because it had a lot of things that, came off like a parody but it didn't seem like it was being a parody and i can't think of what it was parried parodying that is a hard word to say (laughs) this was Um, before teen wolf so i guess yes but that's what i was gonna say i feel like this is highly influential to teen wolf because he is a sports star uh where where it differs is okay so he becomes a werewolf he goes back home and starts murdering people in his werewolf form and drops out of high school. His father discovers that he's a werewolf. Ed McMahon runs down to a bomb shelter because of course they have a bomb shelter and shoots himself by trying to shoot the rifle inside the bomb shelter. (laughs) And it ricochets. And this is a good example of the kind of humor in this movie. It just shows Ed McMahon like dancing around this little steel bomb shelter. And then hard cut 
to a funeral and they never show Ed McMahon get hit by the bullet or die. Oh God. Um, so like, I don't even know at this point, I guess he really did die, but it's like, is the son covering up for his father's death because he's locked himself in a bomb shelter under the house that he can't get in? Like, is that going to be the plot of the movie? No, it's not. It is not uh, at the funeral. They have like a three gun salute, I guess, because he's a government employee and they mm-hmm. keep shooting the guns even though the priest is not giving them the signal and like they shoot a bird out of the sky onto the coffin and then a branch falls onto the coffin. <laughs> That's <like>, funny. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but like, I don't know. I just so, don't know how to describe this movie because then it flashed forwards 20 years. Oh, wow. Because they have this thing of like the picture of the president on a wall. And then they just keep changing the thing and showing newspaper headlines about where this werewolf is going. Mm-hmm. There was, I forgot to mention a, um, a prophecy because of course there was an Eastern European palm reader who reads his palm and tells him that he's going to wander the earth until he goes back and makes up for lost time or something like that. Uh, so he decides after 20 years of wandering the earth, murdering people, it seems to always be a full moon, by the way, in this movie, because even before he leaves town, he just like kills people on separate days. But there's no passage of time. <laughs> it's and a this continues. <laughs> yeah, I'm just why? OK, um, <laughs> he ends up back in town and decides that what that prophecy meant was that he has to play football and win the big game against their rivals who they've never beaten. Oh God. Okay. So there's the sports, like the team will fangle. Yeah, but it never happens. Oh, okay. <laughs> Until the end, he becomes a werewolf. There a whole bunch of other things happen um, that aren't important to anything or anyone mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he's, he's a werewolf and he picks up a fumble and the team loses 40 to six or something yeah yeah but he it could have been so interesting i thought like the the beats were there it was cool um it took entirely too long i felt like the the first half hour of going to transylvania and coming back and then murdering people and then disappearing was about half an hour Mm -hmm. i feel like if you did that in 10 minutes and then it's him coming back 20 years later you could have had like an hour a solid hour and 20 of like him living in this small town. There are several people there from when he was a kid, you know, like that kind of movie. Right. Of right. People recognizing him some, and because he's the same person, people do recognize him. And he's like, no, that's my dad. He's dead. <laughs> like his old high school girlfriend starts trying to sleep with him oh God. as an adult woman who's married to one of his other friends who oh. has a, a flamboyantly gay child. <laughs> and it's just like, it was just a whole bunch of weird things in one movie. But, I do think that Teen Wolf must have been inspired by this movie. And they're like, let's just do the fun high school werewolf thing. Right. Um, And also there's a scene where they're at like a high school dance Mm -hmm. and he's turning into a werewolf. And there's a student, an African-American student who runs out of the bathroom and starts like doing these werewolf motions. And I'm pretty sure it was the inspiration for the thriller dance, which came out in 1982 or 83. Oh, wow. Because, yeah. Covering things here. Yeah. And I'm just like, (laughs) did this shitty movie really influence two, like, relatively big cultural touchstones? Yeah. 
Do you think Michael Jackson watched this movie? <laughs> I he must have. There's I, no way he didn't. I am very interested. Maybe there's a cut on on YouTube of someone who compared the two dances. It was literally like ten seconds of this like black student dancing, yeah. but I'm like I'm pretty sure he did the like did one trailer. of the famous moves from the dance, yeah. and I was like, huh. So uh, I never heard of this movie, but I have heard of Larry Cohen. He's like an '80s schlockmeister who made like cheap, ex- cheap horror movies and um, yep. it's live. And are the, the two that the I've stuff, heard of. The stuff is fun. Cue the Winged Serpent is pretty good. But yeah, he's like a notorious '80s schlockmeister. You know, he makes these cheap movies like this. This was probably one of his cheaper ones. It sounds like. <laughs> I think the the special effects budget in this movie must have been negative dollars. Oh, really? That bad? Because you never see any transformation. You rarely see the uh, Adam all. I almost said um, Alan Arkin. Adam Arkin in the actual makeup. Like you'll see mm-hmm. a hand reach around, like a seat, and it'll just be the hand pawing someone's shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of POV from the beast, you know, shots and things like that. They just could not afford to do any kind of special effects. I have a theory now, because I just looked up an American werewolf in London, which was a hit, was 1981 as well. Do you think that they could have filmed this and released it in the same year (laughs) because an American werewolf in London was a hit? (laughs) Well, let's see. Let's let's do some sleuthing. Um, what was the release date on this? Are you are you thinking they maybe had time to create this as a spoof of it, or just yeah, just to kind of to to follow the follow in the footsteps of a hit that year? So, American Werewolf in London was released. Uh, why did IMDb change their website? I can't find the release date easily now. Uh, August 21st, 1981. Ooh, that would be a tough, tough. Yeah. Yeah. Full moon high. October 9th, 1981. Yeah, I don't think they could have made that fast of a turnaround. I don't know. You haven't seen this movie. It's possible. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they. Maybe it was just the, you know how some, some movies kind of get similar movies get made at the same time. Like there's something mm-hmm. in the air, like volcano and Dante's peak or whatever. Those two were. Wouldn't it be really funny? Armageddon and deep impact. Yeah, Wouldn't yeah. it be really funny if they both productions heard about each other and then they raced each other. And clearly the American werewolf in London is a far superior movie. Yes. And th- then they saw this and they're like, why did we rush hours? <laughs> right. <laughs> this is the because... movie we were worried about. Right. And now no one's heard of this one. It's like so low on the popularity rankings on Letterboxd. Oh I was so excited to watch it because for some reason on Amazon, it has a four and a half star rating. I feel like I was trolled. Yeah, I don't trust meanwhile, Amazon ratings at all. <laughs> meanwhile, on IMDb, this has a 4.7 star rating, but that's out of 10, which, yeah, I can see that. This has 2.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Too high. Too high. <laughs> Too high. <laughs> oh, I got some. Uh, some of my friends liked it a lot. I'm surprised. I have to. I'll have to uh, look into it a little more, maybe. But sounds like no rush. 
I would recommend it to you and no one else. Okay. Just because I watch everything. Yes. And it I did like have some movies. really, really, there's no horror here. Not oh, one okay. bit. It had some funny moments and dialogue, mm-hmm. but a lot of it came out of left field. There's a whole lot about the, um, the football coach in the beginning. Here's a pretty good example of some of the humor in this movie. Um, the football coach is telling them how great they are. And then they're in the showers after practice. And all of a sudden, like the coach comes in and they're making jokes about their coach being a child molester, which in the eighties was like, you know, not as horrible as it is now, I guess. I don't know to have those jokes and everybody clears out of the showers, except for the main character. Who's like the star quarterback and he drops the soap and then they just stare at each other. He's like, well, (laughs) It was almost used up anyway, and he and he walks out of the shower, and then the coach is just like says a funny little quip. Yeah, that's dated humor right there. <laughs> yeah, but that's like the kinds of things that happen in this movie for no reason. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you liked vibes. <laughs> I'm glad I liked vibes too. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of movies being inspired by. Uh, other movies being hits vibes was inspired by a movie and vibes was critically panned and was a bomb the movie that was a big hit that inspired it was romancing the stone robert zemeckis oh i can see that which uh was the one movie i watched have you seen that one it's been years and years i used to like it when i was a kid yeah, I can see that. It's definitely a got a almost like an Indiana Jonesy kind of thing, from exactly. what I remember. Yep, it's about a romance novelist, uh, played by Kathleen Turner, who is kind of a homebody, very scared of everything, very much in her element when she's at home alone with her cat writing her romance novels. And it opens with a scene from one of her romance novels where you know the the, it's a western and the hero you know after the woman escapes from the bad guys the hero runs in and they have this heartfelt romantic kiss and that's how the movie opens you think you're watching a western and it cuts to her writing the ending on her typewriter and crying because it's so beautiful kathleen turner's great in this she's so great as like this mousy person who's at who has to through plot reasons has to go to Columbia to rescue her sister who is um, held by these people who are looking for this artifact in the jungle. And the sister's husband knew where it was and had mailed the treasure map to Kathleen Turner's character to keep it safe. Now she has to bring it back to rescue her sister. So she goes to Columbia and just that whole first act where she is the fish out of water in this, you know, um, this is a movie from the eighties. So it's not that politically correct. It makes Columbia look like a very third world country where I'm sure like a lot of it is, is very modernized in real life. But, uh, you know, she goes into this airport where everyone has carrying animals and everyone's fighting and, you know, things like that. So, but, um, Danny DeVito plays one of the criminals and she's supposed to go on a particular bus, but there's someone who's chasing just like vibes. There's another group of people who want the artifact. They kind of 
convinced her to go on a separate bus that brings her into the jungle so they can rob her. And what, right when she's about to get robbed by the bad guy, Michael Douglas, the hero of the movie, comes in to rescue her. Michael Douglas was also a producer on this movie. And he definitely makes himself look pretty cool. He's like a cool, <laughs> tough guy, you know? Um, probably as, as cool and tough as Michael Douglas can be when he's not in a... I was going to say, there is nothing <laughs> imposing about Michael Douglas one bit. Yeah, but he, he does a good job. You know, Michael Douglas is a good actor, and he does his it's thing. great. The... Uh, and then they have their meet cute and then he she hires him to like bring her to safety and then you know they have that thing where they're getting chased through the jungle by all the bad guys a lot of big action set pieces where they're swinging on vines they're you know driving cars over waterfalls and crazy stuff like that they decide to go get the treasure themselves and meanwhile they're slowly falling in love it feels very similar to vibes right yes <laughs> Just the plot. It, it's almost a carbon copy yeah well i guess the other way yes i liked vibes better this is a really yeah this is a perfectly fine action adventure movie the issues i had was that there there was a lack of chemistry between michael douglas and kathleen turner they were perfectly fine together but there was no real like i was never like oh these people are gonna i know they're gonna fall in love but you know, I don't see why, <laughs> you know, right. that sort of thing. <laughs> We're in vibes. I felt more chemistry between the two main characters. Uh, and also the, there's nothing really likable about Michael Douglas's character. He is kind of a scoundrel who, you know, turns into a good guy, of course, but there's nothing that would make me feel like she would fall in love with him during this adventure. You know, and combine that with a few little uh, plot logical inconsistencies that bothered me. Nothing major because the movie's all action scenes, but there's some things right. like, okay, you're clearly just doing this to set up an action scene. <laughs> you know, mm. like if if you followed the logic, this person would just do this. And there's a couple moments like that which took me out of the movie. But it's Robert Zemeckis. He knows how to film stuff you know he's probably he one of them he's probably one of the most like competent directors out there because he doesn't really have like his own style but he's just you know so competent like he knows where to put the camera and stuff he's not very stylish but he does everything perfectly well you know yeah he, yeah, he like, tells a story yeah exactly and he worries he, he's one of those directors that to me seems like he worries about telling a good story rather than the visual aspect of the film mm -hmm. or necessarily right. like having his framing and blocking and shots like be any kind of um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like a lot of times uh, you can watch someone, someone's movie and the, the shot selection and the things are playing like a subliminal role um, mm -hmm in in the story and i just don't think he generally does that no no he just which is fine yeah yeah he's he just presents the images in the best way to get the story across which yeah i like his movies a lot and i some of them i don't like at all but this one falls right in the middle it was entertaining some great action i just uh 
didn't really buy the characters too much, except for Kathleen Turner in the first act was really good. And yeah, I just hope it had more. I just wish it had more of that energy throughout, but uh, definitely a good inspiration or reverse inspiration considering it came first. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, vibes was quirkier and weirder, which is more my speed. But Romancing the Stone is still a solid, solid action movie. So I have a question for you. As someone who doesn't remember this or Jewel of the Nile, mm-hmm. um, which is the yeah, sequel, the sequel. Yeah. should someone who enjoyed those movies as a child but remembers basically nothing about them except them being the, the vague impressions of them being like an Indiana Jones kind of mm-hmm. uh, ripoff, mm-hmm. should I go back and watch these? So you're not going to dislike them. Uh, because they don't live up to your nostalgia. It's still going to be a good movie, but you know, it's not one of the great movies. So it depends what you're in the mood for. Like I would always try to push someone towards like a, one of the better movies out there. This <laughs> is just a perfectly good, acceptable movie. You know, there's a lot of those out there though, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, for the, definitely for the first act, I really did like the first act. So I would recommend it for that at least. So, all right, we uh, we both took some visits into the jungle and Transylvania. Did not see any vampires for some reason, but <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but I think it's uh, it's time that we pick a new movie to watch for next episode. It's the most exciting part of the podcast. It is. It is. We have our list of twenty movies. We have a D twenty. I'm going to roll it and see what happens. Here we go. All right. Number three, which is Big Game. I don't know what that is. Big Game. Oh, you will. It's got Samuel Jackson in it. It's from the director of that weird Santa Claus movie, Rare Exports. Yes. All right, I'm in. All right, cool. Samuel Jackson as the president. Should we read? I think we should read the little uh, description on Letterboxd. All right, go for it. Air Force One is shot down by terrorists, leaving the President of the United States stranded in the wilderness. 13-year-old Ascari is also in that wilderness on a hunting mission to prove his maturity to his kinsfolk by tracking down a deer, or Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) Instead discovers the President in an escape pod. With the terrorists closing in to capture their prize, the unlikely duo team up to escape their hunters. Sounds great. I'm excited. How could it be bad? Yeah. All right, well, we'll find out next episode. Two weeks' time, we'll see you back here. We will watch Big Game and something inspired by Big Game. So until then, uh, again, my name is Patrick. You can follow me on Letterboxd under Long Monkey and check out my website, proleary.com. Eric, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh <laughs> not the safe for this audience. <laughs> okay. Well, with that note, we will leave you. Have a good night and sweet dreams.